0: Thank you so much for joining Democratizing Music, where we interview content creators, struggling musicians, and basically anyone struggling to make a buck, whether that be performing or even all the way up to well-established, maybe multi-album producers or bands that have gone on tour. We've done it all. And I just can't wait to introduce you to our interview this week. So please join me in welcoming Tim Exile of Endless.fm. That's that with three S's. Uh, It is a super cool uh, music live, uh, I guess, cloud jamming service is how I'll I'll describe it. I feel like that's a pretty good explanation for it for fellow musicians out there. Um, I met him in a clubhouse room a few uh, days ago and uh, heard heard a a live jam that was going on between a, a bunch of different musicians. And wow, I was blown away with how cool of a product it is. Uh, I looked into some of his background, and he's got a pretty cool history. Uh, we got lots to talk about, but first, before we dive into that, Tim, how are you doing today? Hey, Daniel, I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining. Um, Absolute yeah, he- pleasure. Yeah.
1: Um, I'll, but before we get started, I, I yeah. do apologize for the quality of my audio. Um, there was a bit of a mix up. I ended up. I'm, I'm doing this from home. I usually do podcasts from the office where I've got. My nice podcast mic. So, ap- apology if the audio is a bit pinched, but um, hopefully
0: it's comprehensible. Oh yeah, no worries, no worries. We'll we'll clean it up with all the latest isotope filters. Anyway, it'll sound like uh, silky <laughs> smooth. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for joining. Um, I was looking into your background, man. You've just been a musician like your whole life. It seems like, huh? That's pretty cool. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, I've I've never well, at least. My current job, which is a CEO founder of Endless, is is my first proper job. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, um, I I came straight out of university. I I did a philosophy degree, then I did a, a master's in electroacoustic composition, and um, I went straight into the music industry. Uh, I mean, the first thing I did out of uni- university was creating karaoke backing tracks. Uh, that was my bread and butter for a while. Mm. While I and it gave me a bunch of time to. Write my own music, write my own software, and uh, since then I, I, I built up a career as as an artist. Started signing twelve inches to some of my some of my favorite record labels. Eventually signed to Warp Records. Um, I had a three album deal with them, and I mean I, I've always been creating music as well as software, um, music software, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just around you know the beginning of the 2010s i kind of took the decision that i was going to prioritize the technology mm. uh, aspect to my career over you know just me as uh, as a touring artist yeah. uh, recording artist seems a little bit more
0: lucrative i take it
1: yeah it's de- uh, yes no it's definitely it's definitely more um more more lucrative i think i'm yeah maybe that was that was part of the factor but i think yeah that was part of the decision, but I think the the greater part of the decision was just feeling that um the things that I was creating in software mm-hmm. seemed to have much more of an impact than the music I was creating yeah um and and I felt a lot more like I had a vision for music software mm-hmm. oh, well my my vision for um for the tools for music creation and and the possibilities of those was um i think probably more extensive than my vision for the music i i wanted to make
0: yeah and you know i can relate to that a lot i'm also a developer and a musician and uh have been spinning up my own business on the side over the last two months and uh it feels feels very much like boy it'd be nice if people connected as much to my music as they do to like some of the the technical work that I put out there but at the same time it does feel like I do more good and enable more art to to occur in the world if I focus more on this technical thing and not so much on my personal art, which is kind of a weird like push and pull sort of feeling you know
1: yeah no it it, it is and but i I think there's um there are some there are some axial truths in that i Mm. think um uh, oftentimes when we build careers as creators um those careers progress when we get opportunities to interact with people um and and those those interactions don't necessarily have to be one-to-one they can be one-to-many or many-to-many but being part of conversations is is how creativity seems to progress Mm -hmm. um And I think in the the music industry as it is today, uh, or or let's say the vast majority of the music industry that we've inherited from the past 150 years or so um, has a very, um, you know, it has a long release cycle where you go away, you write an album, it takes months, um, you plan the campaign and then you execute the campaign and there aren't that actually that many points of interaction um and i find well certainly in the world of creating music tools and, and software there are so many more opportunities to interact with people and yeah. you know the the product itself um is an opportunity to uh to intera- interact interact either with a you know with a machine or possibly
0: with other humans as well uh yeah i mean that that is I think you're kind of getting towards uh, I've heard you talking in in the past in interviews about like kind of the the left brain, right brain uh, split and like how how like it it can feel like so much overhead to just get a song kind of done. And like how much more done is it after all that additional work you did to get an album ready versus like that initial idea that you had that was just a cool riff that people could have enjoyed? Maybe for those couple of months that took you to finish it and put it into a song and release it and publicize it on your yeah. social medias, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, man, it, it it feels like um maybe I
1: did maybe I did send you our investment deck, but you basically <laughs> summed up the opening narrative of uh you know whenever whenever I go out to investors, you know we're we're fundraising at, at the moment. Well, mm-hmm. I guess you always are as a startup. You're looking yeah. for um. You're looking for capital to expand and uh, move, move towards your vision. But, um, I mean, th- this is pretty much exactly how I frame the problem. We've got, in the music industry, we have a, a two-sided problem. There's a problem for creators. Creators are um, creating more and more music. Today, 60,000 tracks will be uploaded to Spotify. That's 22 million tracks this year. Um, only a very small percentage of uh, the artists on Spotify generate even ten thousand dollars streaming revenue, um, so more and more music is being made. less and less of that music relatively is being heard. Um, and that's the problem that's a problem for creators that you know there isn't enough audience um, or at least the way that we reach audiences nowadays is not delivering the kind of listenership that uh, creators yearn for right um but then on the other side um of the equation we've got the 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 listening and uh, so it's less of a problem um but it, it's been presented to us as um, a great convenience so this morning um i got up i hit play on spotify and it's been playing me music i like mm-hmm. all day most of which I know nothing about, Uh, you know, I, I know that I like it, but I don't know who made it. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly have no interaction with the fans, um, with other people, with the community around that creator. And I definitely don't have any interaction with the artist. Um, And, you know, this has been a great, it's a great convenience for consumers, but it's turned music into a utility. And I think listeners um, and music lovers are, are looking for experiences um where they can engage a bit more deeply. Um, and so what this means is that that actually 80% of the creative process is, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, is is redundant. You know, those um that month you spend mm-hmm. um perfecting a song that you originally wrote in an evening of inspiration is kind of redundant. I mean if that evening of inspiration could be an event um that listeners could plug in to um, and have a sense that they were they were there. Uh, they witnessed something happen. Um, they were part of something serendipitous. Um, uh, th- you know, to me that seems like uh, a really a real win win uh, solution. Really, yeah. Um, you basically short circuit. You know, let's you know, forget about finished music. Why don't we turn music creation into a ritual that people can participate in or witness? Um, and and thereby you know getting straight to the magic for both creators and
0: listeners yeah i mean it makes makes a lot of sense plus i mean i think there's a lot of research into those algorithms and how they they're not necessarily doing us a lot of good as far as like what they point us to next if we just you know tell spotify to like well i want to play something like this we kind of like it's going to be hard to find stuff that's actually kind of outside that box and find new stuff. It it kind of cookie cutters us into genres and into and it keeps us from discovering stuff that we otherwise might. Which I think yeah. I, I think is so cool about your product. Like the the from the very foundations, it's about it's about just seeing what who's out there playing or if you just want to do your own thing, go do your own thing. But either way, like you can you can participate by either listening or making. Um, just from the get go. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, uh, and I, I think that you know the word discovery is such such an important and often misunderstood mm. word or misused, I would say, um, or at least the way in which we understand uh, discovery and the way it's being presented to us in these very slick user experiences around music streaming these days. Um, again, it's that it's this convenience. Um, narrative this sort of ultra consumerism where uh, you know the most efficient way for us to um, to interact with the world is um, you know one touch or one voice command um, mm-hmm. and oftentimes that that actually bypasses uh, a much deeper need for humans which is for uh, you know for for meaning and and purpose and interaction um, so you know, well, I, I still occasionally dip into my Spotify Discover Weekly mm-hmm. playlist, um, which is algorithmically generated. And it's, it's generally, I, I would say it's generally better at um, finding interesting things that I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still generally, the way I end up using it is, again, a single touch. And it's just like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But I don't interact with it. And um, the re- what's rewarding about discovery um is the the risk that you have to take to put yourself into situations where you can discover things uh, you know we used to go to record shops um and we would rely on those record shops having the records that um that would be to our taste in there and they wouldn't have any they wouldn't have everything um yep. and uh you know it was much more of a you you to some extent you had to put your fate in the hands of other things In order to to be in the right place and discover uh, discover the music that you really wanted to find.
0: Not so much of the fact that you literally had to take the stupid record over to like the shared machine they had with a pair of headphones, right? To like if you if you wanted to, you might be able to listen to and preview like ten albums in your time at the at the music store, which was probably a long time at the music store. Um, And yeah, it was just more effort. Um, it's, it's funny how the internet really changed the music industry very, very quickly. Um, I don't think that like, as we look back on history, I'm not sure that we'll see an industry that changed so rapidly. Um, so like, and so substantially, cause it was a huge part of the economy too, um, before yeah. everything went down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was really, it was only
1: one thing that changed it. Well, no, it, it was. Yeah, peer-to-peer file sharing, Napster, the, yep. uh, the, yeah, Napster, uh, Soulseeker, and all, everything, all the torrenting and and everything uh, that came downstream from that. That was a cat that came out of the bag very, very quickly and uh, could not be put in. And mm-hmm. what we're seeing today with streaming services that they're essentially they're taking that model. You know, the big pitch, Spotify's big pitch was um, music rights um, uh, are out the bag. Music is essentially free the only way that you're going to start uh, building up a revenue stream around your catalog is by creating um a really great user experience around essentially torrenting and and that's that's what that's really what streaming is it's mm-hmm. um it's torrenting um with a with a good user experience and this is this is why streaming is so relatively cheap these days and why so many um artists are uh um up in arms about the the relatively low uh streaming uh, checks that they get from streaming services is because that's not actually the value proposition to the consumer the value proposition is um okay you would otherwise be able to get this free anywhere um but in order to do that you have to download all these clients and it's all a bit janky and it's not very guaranteed so how about we do this in a big centralized service? Um, we look after the UX. We make sure that we have all the catalog there. We make it all nice and shiny. Um, and we will charge you 10 bucks a month mm-hmm. for, for that experience. So you're not really even paying for music, I would say, on the streaming services. You're paying right. for, uh, for convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, and what convenience... Yeah, you know, to, to value something cultural based on convenience mm-hmm. is actually completely upends the whole idea of culture because culture is not about convenience. It's the culture opposite. Culture is about meaning. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's about, um, it's all about symbolism. It's about meaning. Um, it's about rituals and participation and uniqueness. So, it, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me um, that, you know, 20 years on from, the, the, the Napster um, uh, I, I still don't really know how to describe it but you know the, the great disruption I mean I'm kind of fed up with that word but, uh, I feel
0: like there's an apocalypse music mashup that up is with good. Here. yeah yeah <laughs> um, how do you um, think that that plays into the death of the album though as an art form which is one thing that I kind of lament about about peer-to-peer file sharing, making it so that like people care more about songs than they do about albums. And I was always a guy who wrote, you know, kind of albums, you know, I would, I would have a collection of songs I would, I would release and they were somehow related to one another um, in, in some way or another. So, I mean, I noticed that your platform, for instance, has a fairly short loop period, which kind of means that like, it, it's even hard to make even like a full length song without like stopping some loops essentially right so like how do you think that like do you think that your app that choice to make it kind of so limited in its looping functionality and length do you think that that is related to the the fact that napster kind of killed the album and and now we're more focused on just like moment by moment musical content even like it's taking that a step further beyond the the death of the album down to the song
1: yeah i mean i'd say
0: um I'd say actually that the
1: um the disruption so every time something is di- disrupted you you have um something new comes in its place mm-hmm. um that that offers that provides a new value proposition um but you often get you know in the shadow of that in the wake of that, you'll actually also lose something as well. so you know when thats came along we we lost a lot of these old formats and we we lost a lot of the meaning and and interactions around music. Um, I'd say that the big disruption, uh, or, or the 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 wake behind the disruption that that we're looking to uh, to to reassemble, is actually the disruption that happened 150 years ago when Edison recorded sound, mm. um, and that was the beginning of the the evolution of the modern music industry.
0: That where... bastard with his wax cylinders, ah, <laughs> yeah,
1: but it was great. I mean, it, it, it's you know, I, I I have no beef with Edison whatsoever. Um, because we do get, you know, again the, the this sort of convenient experience where I can listen to incredibly well-produced music um, that I really love. I, I mean, there's abs- I have no beef with that whatsoever. I think it's uh, incredible and wonderful and absolutely should have happened. Um, but we did lose um, something very significant mm-hmm. um, when I, we, it didn't happen immediately. As soon as Edison invented sound, but uh, it recorded sound, but in the ensuing 50 to a hundred years, uh, music, um, music became a product that we consume before that music was an activity that we came together it was an experience to do. Yeah. Exactly. It was an experience. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was a ritual. And, and that's the thing, that's really the thing that we're, that we're bringing back. Um, we're bringing that back for, uh, for the modern era. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, was so integral to those early experiences, music as activity, is that it was incredibly uh, good at delivering meaning and purpose and coming together um, and defining and redefining. you know every time um, folk musicians would come together in in a, in a pub or around a campfire, every time they came together to play and riff around those those folk traditions, they would be making and remaking and um, uh, re- revisiting and slightly modifying the cult, their shared culture. Um, so, uh, and, and that's very much what what we what we're going for with with Endless. You know, as as the world moves away from um, an obsession with content mm-hmm. and an obses- obsession with trying to get attention for that content, towards a world. You know the world of Fortnite, of Roblox, of Twitch and live streaming, and Clubhouse and real-time, spontaneous, collaborative creativity. Um, we're uh, we're we're seeing an emphasis again on skill and relationships um, as as the means to deliver um, you know a sense of unity, a sense of um, having a culture, a shared culture that we can coalesce around and build value around
0: that's a really good transition into the next thing I want to talk about uh, for, for endless and uh, like where you guys see, see it going, because I mean, t- to me, it seems like it would be really cool if, if the platform uh, evolved to support things like um, artists getting like social points, like for thumbs up that they get for stuff that they add to a, to a jam or whatever. And maybe, maybe getting like, Hey, this guy's pretty good with the guitar. He knows how to use that, that this part of this app or this uh, uh, instrument uh, pretty well, and could like ping you into a, a jam or something like that, kind of similar to what you see in in those clubhouse rooms and things like that. Is that something that's on your radar? <laughs> that's uh, man, you, you you're really good at reading my mind. <laughs>
1: that's that's literally exactly what we're raising our current funding uh, to build. Um, exactly those kinds of features. Um, that's super cool yeah you know friending following uh discovering liking pinging people into rooms getting notifications when your friends are online um all this stuff so we have a uh, we've got a discord server uh, mm-hmm. which is a really active community um but still only uh, you know we send we send people who sign up to the app a notification like hey we've got a discord server do swing by but still only about three percent of people who sign up through endless um, make their way through to our discord server mm. um and but the people who do build the relationships um start building a following get involved get deeply integrated into the community and uh, the you know the, reten- the retention the um of those users is way 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 higher than the than people who don't make it through to discord so we know that the next step for us is to build in all those all those features and people want people really want these features yeah um because people um people like the things that they do to be moving them in some kind of direction yeah uh wh- whether that's building an audience or whether that's trying to get a lot of likes or whether that's trying to generate revenue or or even if it's just like trying to write a song or or, or whatever but you know having having an orientation around your creativity is is one of the most powerful things to um channel and direct your creativity and and you know i think the best the best way to uh deliver that for people is with
0: all this social infrastructure yeah absolutely uh the other thing i was going to ask about was a tip jar but i feel like you probably already thought about that so um
1: well this um I mean, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the NFT space.
0: Um, I think we actually met in the nfts.tips yeah. room. Yeah, that's what um, I'm setting so, up a business around NFTs. That's that's why I, I hang out there. But yeah.
1: Interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and and I think it's such an exciting um, space to be in. We, we've done quite a few projects around NFTs. The biggest one was we teamed up with Imogen Heap for her first NFT drop since she created the first piece of music on the ethereum blockchain back in 2015 well mm-hmm. she didn't create it but she she sold it mm-hmm. um licensed it you know she issued tokens um for uh the first digital work ever i think on the ethereum uh blockchain i think it was just when smart contracts hit it was one of the first smart contracts that was issued mm-hmm. so we were incredibly lucky to team up with her for her first nft you know proper nft drop um just just a few weeks ago and they were all riffs that were created on on endless
0: that's so cool Uh, and it's
1: a collection of six riffs um and uh, if you you have show notes with links it'd be great to drop those in if that's possible i definitely Um, will
0: yeah if you uh if you twitter those to me i will drop them in the show notes absolutely fantastic um
1: so so, yeah, we've been, we've been looking very closely at the, at the world of, of NFTs um, in the long run. So, you know, right now, our, our revenue comes from, um, I guess, kind of upselling to um, extra creative features, extra content, extra tools, etc. Um, in the long run, we want Endless to become a, a marketplace, basically. And this is really comes down to giving our community uh, an opportunity to realize the value of the the magic that they create on, on the platform. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, creating social infrastructure is, is very important. Um, and there is definitely value there in building an audience, building a following, um, and all the gamification around that. Um, but if that can't be translated into actual revenue, um, people that's at a certain stage will get frustrated and, and, and lose interest. So, yeah, um, it's, we're... it seems like,
0: sorry, didn't, didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, it seems like maybe you have a chance to do like a, a phased approach, right? Like maybe first like allow people just to associate a Venmo or something like that with their profile so that people could have a button like, Hey, I like that. And then just send them whatever to, to that Venmo bucket but then later yeah it could evolve into like something more complex like an nft contract or something like that uh, i could see both those being a reality at some point
1: exactly yeah No, i think that's that's exactly it and you know we have um in, we've encouraged our community to create nfts of uh, the riffs that they create on endless um and some of our community community members have been quite successful in that there's um there's a few people now minting and selling riffs on which is the, mm-hmm. the tezos yep. uh tezos based nft platform um and yeah i'm just i'm really pleased that people have uh you know quite a few a hand, you know it's not a huge number but a handful of people are beginning to generate um you know not insignificant uh revenue from from the risk that they've created on endless which i think is uh is is one is wonderful
0: <laughs> yeah it's super cool um you know, it occurs to me that I thought in a previous uh, interview from you that uh, you'd mentioned something about rights. Like, if I do, I own the rights to a, a riff that I make in a jam that's not my own versus a solo jam in, in the app. Like, do I have the ability to export that and sell it as an NFT? Because, like, it, you just said you, you could, but I also thought that the rights were kind of weird and that they were so shared.
1: Yeah, the, I mean the rights for the stuff that you do in Endless, you you retain the rights oh, okay. for that. Um, you just give us a license um, on the platform for for anyone on the platform to do whatever they want with your stuff on the platform. So, gotcha. It's a, I, I call it an IP sandbox. Okay. Um, so you can you can come to the sandbox, create things, um, and you can do whatever you want with everything else that's, uh, in the sandbox, but Nothing pass it. Nothing can pass in or out, cool. or at least without getting the permission from from the other rights holders. So, uh, if you created a riff with three other people and you wanted to turn that into an NFT, um, you'd have to ask them before exp- exporting that riff. Um, I mean, currently, um, you'd have to strike a deal. Uh, you'd have to negotiate that deal yourself. Um, in in the long run, um, if this if this proves to be something popular that a lot of people want to do uh, we definitely have an opportunity to to then spin out spin up um pre-rolled contracts pre-rolled negotiations so we can just say these are the splits this is everyone's effort um uh it's really smart if you if you want to proceed on these terms um we can just do all the contracting you know potentially we could team up with distributors um other marketplaces like beat stars or other social networks like tiktok or snap or you know anyth- anything like that um so th- that's right yeah that's where it could go in, in
0: in the long run that's super cool yeah so like before you join into a jam like they just establish hey so here's the deal on the jam like if you participate like you'll get a certain percentage based on like how much material you contribute to the overall jam or something like that yeah that makes sense that's really cool um i i know that or at least I read <laughs> that uh, Endless as it is today evolved from a thing that you had made for yourself called like Flow Machine, I want to say, that yes. basically it was a performance tool that you just wrote for yourself because you were, you were not satisfied with the other performance tools for EDM that were out there. Is that right? That's exactly it, yeah. I, I mean, it's um, it evolves. It definitely
1: evolves over a long period of time. And mm-hmm. you know, my first musical experience was playing the violin and what I love about what I loved about the violin you know aged four and two thirds or whatever (laughs) (laughs) um was you put your bow on the string you move your body music happens and when you stop the music stops and it's a very real-time embodied communicative spontaneous way of being musical so that that was my I was always my frame of reference Mm. um for what music was or what what music was for even um so as a teenager i fell in love with electronic music did everything that is involved in electronic music learned to dj uh learned to produce um but i was always some somewhat in the wrong skin um in I, well it was a, it was a there was a there was a big tension because i love the sound world and i still do love the sound world of electronic music mm-hmm. um how kind of otherworldly it could be and how, how expressive, um, just, uh, just the, the sheer, um, vastness of the electronic sound world. I absolutely loved it, right. but certainly at the time that I, um, fell in love with it, it was the opposite of embodied. It was, um, you know, it was at the very beginning of the, uh, the, the, the sequencing era, the DAW era Steinberg mm-hmm. had just released VST uh, virtual studio technology that became you know the plug-in format that we know and love today but it was all very much about designing music on a screen um with with blocks and waveforms that that were visual representations of sound mm-hmm. uh, and then hitting us hitting the space bar to play back and hear what your visual representation of what you were thinking actually sounded like mm-hmm. um so it's very much the opposite of being embodied and um So, I mean, even even when I started, uh, you know, as soon as I started producing, I started getting interested in how um, how these sound generation and sound manipulating uh, sound manipulation tools were uh, were were created. And um, I went, you know, in the late '90s, I used to uh, search into the small hours on a 56 kilobit per second modem, Mm. trying to find obscure ways to generate and process sound. and eventually I I stumbled across uh digital modulars. So um I the first one I started using was this thing called Sync Modular, mm-hmm. that was you know boxes and wires node-based thing, but essentially allowed you to program your own sound creation and sound processing algorithms. And um, well, long and short of it, native instruments then bought out Sync Modular and um, merged it with Reactor, which is another digital modular. Mm-hmm. Again, boxes and wires, uh, allowing you to essentially program your own tools. And I just, I just totally fell down that uh, that rabbit hole. Um, ended up doing quite a few partnerships with Native Instruments around the things that I'd be making in Reactor. Uh, and it just evolved and evolved and evolved, and eventually it became the instrument that I always wanted to have. I mean, I'd say it, it took me five years at least to to uh, develop the skills as a programmer as a developer to build that and then it probably took me another five or, year, five or so years to actually build the tool that I actually wanted to have mm. but, um you know by um by the sort of early uh, 2010s uh the flow machine uh had been in existence for a while and had been road tested and had been toured uh around mm-hmm. every continent um Uh, chucked in the holds of many aeroplanes and (laughs) battered about (laughs) and uh, you know I'd squash some of the bugs but some of the bugs in the software Um, and uh, yeah I mean the whole idea behind the flow machine was to relate to be able to relate to electronic sound the way that I related to the violin you know just to be able to step up to it and go like this yeah. is how I feel today. I'm, I'm going to do right. this and, and and be in a um a seamless dialogue with the machine. Um and yeah, to to, to really develop that depth of uh mu- muscle memory um that you develop when you're playing a physical instrument. Um and yeah, it's it's it sort of like that sort of sends me off on a tangent, which I think is a it's an, one of the one of the most interesting things. Well, well, one of the things that fascinated me on that journey, yeah, um, was um, the the flow. There were probably there were like two main instances of the flow machine. The first one that I kind of retired in about two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. um, and 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 then the flow machine. So basically, I I developed this instrument f- um, over about five years from like two thousand and two to th- two thousand and seven. Um, and toured with that instrument quite a bit, got very comfortable with playing that instrument. Um, But eventually, because my programming uh, skills were limited then, um, I got myself in a coding mess. So Mm. I just, it was impossible uh, to take it forward. So I basically chucked it all away, built this new thing from scratch called the Flow Machine and completely redesigned it. Um, And I had just assumed that, um, I well, I hadn't assumed. I'd forgotten, or I didn't know at that point, um, how much muscle memory I developed for the previous instrument, Mm -hmm. and how long it actually took me to 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 get comfortable with that. Right. So over the first two or three years of uh, touring with the Flow Machine, I really wasn't that comfortable with it. It took me, I'd say, it took me longer to get to build up the muscle memory uh, to play that instrument than it actually took me to develop the instrument itself.
0: Interesting. So, was it? It was hardware, right, and software. That's one thing I wasn't quite able to to get down to um, as I as I was doing the research. Like reactor, I thought was basically software, right? Like I wasn't sure how much programming was involved in the reactor side of things. Like, can you help me explain how how the physical reality of the of the flow machine interacted with the software side of things?
1: Yeah. So. The Flow Machine is based around off-the-shelf MIDI controllers, so um, around that time, the early 2000s, -2000s, mid-2000s, Behringer released these awesome controllers called the the BCR-2000 and the BCF-2000 that were Mm -hmm. fully programmable. Um, They all had uh, two-way communication with with the computer, so you could uh, send MIDI messages uh, from the Surface to the computer. You could also send uh, reset messages from the computer back to the surface so mm-hmm. if it had motorized motorized faders it would set the faders in a certain position so cool. you could turn the lights on and off um you could set the uh um you know all the knobs had led rings you could set where the led rings were um so you could um you could make really really deep uh kind of haptic integrations with the software and um i developed the flow machine to basically be a sort of zero it's like zero interface software so or zero graphical interface it's not quite zero Mm -hmm. because there's a couple of things that you need you know it's useful to be able to display display the tempo and it's useful to be able to display a few graphical elements but there's very little um by way of a graphical interface to the flow machine and the entire interface um the the logic of it is all just on the hardware so i can i can uh, bank through different modes i can um, switch the keyboard to control different things. I've got shift keys and modify keys, and um, I've got instant act- access to all the loops, all the eight loops. Each loop has a channel strip on it with um, again filters and panning, etc. Um, and so, so that was a whole strategy is to, is to develop the software as if it was hardware. As it, I mean, it. I guess it's a similar approach to when you're creating system or module software to go inside a piece of hardware
0: like a right i a, like you know a Roland a, box emulation something. of a Poltech plugin or, or whatever yeah yeah whatever yeah it makes sense uh so did you sell any copies of the flow machine or like or was that just your tool and then you thought that it would be so useful that you tried to make a cloud version of it like it like what was the transition like from there to endless
1: well i always wanted the flow machine to to be available as as a as a as a product for other people to to use just because i'd had such a great time with that workflow yeah being able to create fluidly in the moment um i did team up with native instruments to turn various different modules from the flow machine into plugin products so there are three native instruments products the first one is called the finger mm. which was uh which is you can still get it it's um uh an effects plugin but where it's mapped onto a MIDI keyboard so each key on the keyboard is a different effect and you can play multiple keys in different orders and route the effects like that. Okay. Um the next one was called uh the mouth which is it's kind of a voice synth plus auto tune kind of plus a vocoder. It's a sort of all in one voice synth. Um cool. And the most recent one in two thousand and fifteen was called Flesh, which is a kind of loop, um, a loop based instrument where you can drop samples on it and mangle them and rearrange them and um, uh, play, yeah, play around with them. Um, but the thing I always wanted to do was to turn the Flow Machine into a, a product, and I, I had various different ideas about how to do this. Um. And some of them were literally just selling the reactor ensemble um, bundled with some Barringer BCR controllers, but you know, it definitely not scalable. So yeah, I mean, en- endless. Really, um, after many thinking through many different ideas of how this could happen, I was just like, yeah, there's no, there's no easy way to do, or there's no short and quick way to do this. To mm-hmm. do this, to do this properly, we need to develop this platform. Uh, from scratch, um, it needs to be um, it needs to be coded in C it, it needs to it needs to have this web infrastructure. It needs to have a mo- have an iOS app, mm-hmm. a mobile app, and needs to have a desktop app, and etc. Et so it just, I just went in, <laughs> I went in large
0: <laughs> on it. <laughs> Were you a C developer before you started on that, or was that a no? As you so go? I, I.
1: Yeah, no. So I, I, I haven't done any of the development for Endless at all. So I teamed up with mm. um, a friend of mine, Ash Dory, who's our our technical, uh, it's our lead lead engineer, who has um, you know built the lion's share of Endless. Uh, and I knew Ash uh, from uh, a few years before. We, I, I used to have a forum, and Ash appeared on this forum and was incredibly knowledgeable, and we got to know each other a bit then. So. Um, so the first the first move really was to yeah to hire ash mm. um and i'm really glad i made that decision because i think if i'd been um i think i could have picked up c++ and and, and done the programming but i think um from well let's say that the the sort of things that are that i that i need to do today to to grow the business and um uh yeah, it's I mean, it's a full time job. And I'm, I'm very right. glad that I'm not also developing as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah,
0: you seem to be on a bit of a media blitz this week. I saw like an, a news article published about a medium post that you had uh, that you had uh, put out there. Then there was a podcast interview that was published through sound on sound.
1: Oh yeah. Does that not yes. all ring a bell? Yeah. So welcome yes, to, yes. to
0: round four of your media blitz, sir. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see how well this works <laughs> out. I have a smaller audience than Sound On Sound does. I'll just throw that out there.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm sure it'll grow. I'm sure it'll grow.
0: Uh, with the kinds of guests that I've been managing to get lately, yes, I, I'm sure it will. Had <laughs> um, <laughs> did you uh, do any work in SuperCollider, which is a uh, IDE for like sound design? I was just curious if you ever dipped your toe into that water no i
1: never did i never
0: did i mean i, I looked at it i think i i think i
1: down, downloaded it at one point um but yeah i i think i just i just fell deeply down the the rabbit hole with reactor and mm-hmm. um i think i still to this day i mean no there are some limitations to reactor um but i certainly didn't get the impression that the limitations to reactor were Um, any more limiting than uh, the limitations to super collider or max or pure data uh, or any of the the other ones Um, you know there are specific things that i'd say reactor is very good at and it's you know different things for different digital modulars but i felt that for me it was more important to have uh, a really good command of one platform uh, or one toolkit rather than um, you know, a sort of uh, a, a middling knowledge with, um of of lots of them,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess let me check the time okay, wow, forty five minutes. um, so I want to be respectful of your time, uh, and thank you so much again for joining me. um normally hey, I do pleasure. this I do this thing called a lightning round, but I mean, how, how plugged into like the live music recording have you been in the last few years? Have you kind of stepped away from that? Because if so, maybe that wouldn't be the most productive use of our last few minutes and we can ask, uh, more interesting questions.
1: Live music recording as in like live sound or
0: like recording music. It sounds like you're, you're kind of stepping away from that lately. Um, oh, I see as in, as in making records and and stuff like that or songs, (laughs) um,
1: yeah i mean less uh, certainly less so i mean i haven't um or, or at least no i have done a couple of bits of music but they've generally just been content creation backing tracks um for example we, we released a uh a documentary of the backstory to endless uh mm. just before we launched our our desktop app just before christmas mm. um and i i did a bit of sound tracking to to that but i mean that was uh yeah not not so much i did i did actually early this year i spent a couple of days working on a bit of a side project to something i've always been fascinated in um working on a new way to uh to compose uh to compose music in a in a more dynamic way um without going into into the details it's 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 fairly nerdy um <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean if you've got some direct questions uh about things I've, i'm i'm Happy
0: to at least. Let's do it. See if I know anything about them. Let's do it. Let's do the lightning round. All right, here we go. Uh, Big sound effect. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so the lightning round. Uh, Folks at the music store are pretty certain that those gold-plated, unbalanced monster cables with the triple-ultra double shielding uh, are worth the 600% markup that you normally pay for them, Uh, but I don't work there. And I'm less convinced. Uh, so this, this series of questions is going to be basically, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you like what uh, a multiple choice uh, series of answers, and ask you to just answer one of those answers. And then if later after we're done, you feel like I really have to go back and explain what I meant by that, uh, we can do that. But mm-hmm. let's try to keep the feeling of the lightning round going. Cool. Cool. I'm down. Cool. Let's let's do it, Tim. <laughs> All right. So. Do you feel like it's worth the money for uh, a musician to buy like a really fancy, unbalanced quarter-inch patch cable, something that might be used to connect a guitar to a computer or amp or something like that? By that, I mean gold-plated, you know, ultra triple-double shielding or or whatever. Worth it or waste the money? Waste the money. Cool. What about a balanced quarter-inch cable, like a speaker cable? Is that now worth it or still waste of money? um balanced definitely over unbalanced uh uh worth it on unbalanced i'm sorry is that what you
1: said uh balance is worth it yeah
0: cool uh and xlr is that still worth it or a waste of money uh... <sighs> pass <laughs> waste of money it is all right uh <laughs> 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 Is it worth the money to buy an external preamp? Uh, Your answers here are worth it regardless, worth it based on your mic and or audio interface, or just waste of money regardless. Um, Worth it based on your mic and audio interface. Makes sense. Particularly on your mic. Okay, that got dangerous, and closing to hedging there. No, no, none of that time until we're <laughs> done. Uh, is it worth the money to buy a third-party plugin or hardware processor, like a VST or a rack-mounted hardware, uh, versus your stock plugins? Uh, no, not worth it. Cool. Sorry, I was getting a call from uh, possibly my son's school, but it's not. So just need to check that real fast. All right, moving on. Is it <laughs> worth the money to buy dedicated streaming hardware, something like a? Uh, like a camera switcher or a stream yard sling studio are you in that space at all I don't, I don't know your choices are worth it only if your computer can't handle streams worth it period waste of money period
1: worth it if your computer can't handle streams
0: mm-hmm. is it worth the money to buy a green screen for your live streams worth it or waste of money worth it cool um all right do you ever prefer DAW and when you do uh any DAW recording I could list them oh, off. This
1: is embarrassing. Pro Tools.
0: That's not. Well, <laughs> Still. that's pretty common, actually. It's not really embarrassing, mm. um, or at least I wouldn't call that. Uh, do you have a preferred streaming solution for like doing live streams? Do you use Restream Studio, OBS, or something else? OBS. Me too. Do you have a preferred video conferencing solution, Mr. Business Owner? I bet you do. Yeah, we use we use G Suite, Google Meets, uh, endless. G Suite, cool. Um, do you have a preferred re streaming service to to multicast uh, a live stream to multiple uh, social platforms? ReStream.io. Restream. Me too. Yeah. That's what we use. Okay. Um, now the next series of questions are a, a scale, so it's like strongly disagree to disagree to neutral to agree to strongly agree. Okay. Uh, my DAW stock plugins are a cost effective way to get audio broadcast ready and repair problems. How would you say you agree? Agree. agree. Okay, cool. Isotope RX is a suite of cost effective tools to get audio broadcast ready. Burr, 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 burr. Uh, I don't
1: actually, ha- I've never actually used it.
0: That's, that's cool. ridiculous. That's that, yeah.
1: <laughs> so i don't know no
0: worries i'll put you as neutral can i assume that you also have not used ozone if that's the case that you haven't used rx
1: yeah no i haven't i mean th- this is this is definitely indicative of um how long it's been since i've actually ah. really gone deep in production anyway sorry no light worries light, focus
0: we'll, no we'll, we'll get there um, i got questions cool. for you later uh fab filter plugins are a cost-effective way have you ever used those Again, never really use no.
1: them. I know this is embarrassing. But... That's cool.
0: <laughs> what about Waves? Does that ring a bell? Waves plugins? Do you ever yeah. use Yeah. Agree? Strong agree? Disagree? <sighs> They're a cost-effective way. Yeah, yeah agree. that's... Okay. <laughs> cost-effective agree. is the operative term there. Um, are there any specific hmm. go-to plugins that, that like, you just always go to whenever you're, you're doing DAW that I didn't mention?
1: again, just shows how long I, um, it's been since nope. i produced, but um, the Renaissance, <laughs> cool. uh, the Waves Renaissance um, EQ compressor. Waves Renaissance? Um, yeah. Yeah. They're my go-tos. Yeah.
0: I cannot spell Renaissance. I'll figure that out <laughs> later. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, and let's see. Next question doesn't super apply to you. Thank you so much for uh, participating. All right, I am trying to gather data. That's why I limit you to those question to those uh, possible answers. There, I'm actually curious to know if there's actually any kind of trend amongst uh, amongst the industry professionals. Uh, so far, Pro Tools is is trending. I'll tell you that. So don't feel embarrassed there. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, although, if trends are anything to go by, you should definitely pick up Isotope RX and just start playing around with it. Apparently, because everyone else uh, uses it, including including me, by the way. It's okay, good, I'll put it my shelf there. of list. software. <laughs> yeah. Wait till Black Friday, though. Definitely don't pay a full price for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm nearing the end of the stuff that I definitely wanted to talk to you about. Um, I guess as a side conversation, if you got another minute to talk about like spinning up a new business, which isn't explicitly about democratizing music, but uh, I'd find interesting. It might just get cut from the end. Do you have an- another minute for me? Yeah, sure. Thanks, man. Uh, Just in case this is the end, I'll go ahead and do my close now uh, so I can do a nice hard insert. So thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today on Democratizing Music. It was a great conversation and I encourage everyone to go out to Endless with 3s.fm, sign up uh, for his amazing product. If you got an iPhone or an iPad, definitely do it now. If you got a Mac um, computer like desktop or, or laptop, sign up for the studio. And if you got a Windows PC, uh, keep an eye out for their upcoming Windows uh, release of Endless Studio. Thank you, Tim, for joining us. Thank you,
1: Daniel. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Democratizing Music. You can find more information at www.dsmagic.us. There you'll find a contact form if you'd like to be a guest on the show or other ways to find out some of my other interesting projects. Feel free to reach out on any of the social medias. I'm available on Twitter, Facebook, and basically anywhere else.